This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome, welcome to episode number 104 of Bleeding Blue. And today we are continuing to talk about the highs, the lows, and the hijinks of the regular season. And I am here with Snacks, one of my best friends. And without further ado, let's bleed. Snacks, what are we bleeding? Blue! Hello and yes, and welcome to Bleeding Blue. This is a podcast on the New York football Giants, particularly looking at Giants history. We only do Giants history. That's like our new thing. My name is Justin Pennick, and I am coming to you with Nikki Snacks. I am in New Jersey. Snacks, where are you? You were just in Staten Island. I'm very sorry that you had to uh, go out there. It's not a great place. No, it's not the ideal place to go, and it's even less ideal of a place to be when your car breaks down. So that's a good thing. Oof. Other Oof. than you're, that, you're, you're okay. I'm okay. I'm home. I'm back in the wonderful North Jersey, um, Taylor Ham. It's not pork roll. Um, mm-hmm. North Jersey, there's no such thing as Central Jersey. It's North and South. This is the greatest state in the world. I'm very happy to be home. I'm very happy to be here, and I'm doing fantastic. I also just want to say something, if you don't mind. Please. I want to apologize for the onslaught of curse words that were said in last week's podcast. Um, I have a sailor's mouth, and when we're talking Giants football, especially um, things I care so deeply about um, and players I care so deeply about, like an OCU Manure type, I tend to get a little off the rails. So if anybody's ears were bleeding, pun intended, um, mm-hmm. I apologize. I apologize. And I will do my best. I'm oh not promising, but I will do my best to keep the curse words to a minimum and definitely no cocksuckers. I won't say that. I won't say yeah, that. That's, that's what I was going to say. Cause that's what my mother heard. My mother heard you call John Mara that. <sighs> that's really because we were talking, I was showing, I was showing her the, the soundbite of, um, us talking about how we both have club feet. And I was like, Ma, Snacks has a club foot. And I think it played for maybe 30 seconds longer. And John Mara being a, 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 COC, a COCK sucker uh, came up. And uh, and she was like, yeah. Justin. Yeah, that's really <laughs> embarrassing. Can you tell her I'm not like a vulgar person? I'm actually a really nice guy. Oh, she knows you're I, a wonderful man. I just don't want her to get the wrong impression. Who is who is my son doing these podcasts with with, with this animal? Speaking of animal, we love you, animal. Um, yes, of course. Shout out him. Yeah, shout out, shout out, animal. Um, I want to do some housekeeping things, you know, snacks. So you apologize for your vulgar mouth, but I also want to do some housekeeping to kind of just have a nice little start of flow to the show instead of just you know solely screwing around. Please leave a five star rating in the Apple Podcast app if you've been enjoying the, like the new rebranded Bleeding Blue that we've been doing for a few weeks now. It's been a lot of fun. I'm I'm happy and I'm proud of ourselves that we've been doing one episode a week of new and exciting content and different episode formats. We'll do a little bit more of if these walls could talk. We're actually, I want to say maybe we're about halfway through the book. Uh, nah. Yeah, there's about 200 pages, and we're almost 100 pages through. So we're almost halfway through the book. We may take a break, go to a different format. I know we all thought of some different format of episodes where it's not just reading books, even though this has been a lot of fun, and I kind of don't want to stop. So there's that. It has been a lot of fun. Yeah, if you're enjoying Bleeding Blue, please consider leaving a five-star rating on the the Apple Podcast app. It's the best way you can support us. Even if you have left one in the past, Please leave another one and refresh your rating because we're a different podcast now. And all those ratings are from 2019 and possibly even 2018. This podcast has been going on for two years, believe it or not, <laughs> which is which is crazy. 
but please leave another one, refresh your rating, have it reflect 2020 and reflect what we're doing. I would really, really appreciate that. If you are a first time listener, this is a show about Giants history. Um, Thank you to everyone who has been listening. And what we're going to be talking about today is now I (laughs) snacks. I said this last week that we were going to be talking about all these things last week. So instead of saying what we're going to be talking about today, let me frame it as what I think we're going to be talking about today. That's probably a really good idea. Yeah. Because last week we only talked about two things. We talked about LaShawn McCoy versus OCU Minora. And was that feud of Happy Mother's Day, LaShawn McCoy? Was that corny? A lot of people said no. We got some DMs and we got some feedback. And we had some nice little side conversations about that, which is nice. Uh, I say yes. I thought it was corny, but I think I'm in the minority with that. And we also talked about the snowball game of 1995, the Week 17 Chargers-Giants matchups. And it was even fun to have those conversations on Twitter, too. Where it was like, yeah, I was actually at this game. And this is this is what happened. Uh, I, I think somebody commented from, like, Section 300 and was like, oh, we had a ball. We had a blast We because they're not getting hit with anything. You know, Section 300, so they're just throwing everything down, and they don't know what's happening. So <laughs> yeah. they had a ball up they're there. They're having all the fun, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we talked about those two things last week, but we were supposed to get to a lot more. So here's what's on the docket for today. We're going to be talking about some of the lows of the regular season. I'm skipping some things. I'm making the intentional decision to not talk about after Plaxico Burris shot himself. That is in this chapter in early Paladino's book, If These Walls Could Talk. Uh, That's the book that we're basically going through and we're reading from and reading excerpts from, and then we're reacting to it and talking to it. So I'm making the intentional decision to skip that. Maybe we can have an episode that's dedicated solely to the Plaxico Burris shooting and all of the implications that follow from it, and then we can make Paladino's story a part of that episode. But I don't want to talk about it now. That's a good idea. Yeah. I like have I like I think I like having that as its own episode because listen, you know how I remember exactly where I was, what like what was going on in my life when Plaxico Burris when I got the news Plaxico Burris shot himself. It's one of those moments where there were a few in U.S. history where you know exactly where you were and everything about that day. That Burris incident, I will never forget or forgive. So it should be its own episode. Yeah, it's actually kind of crazy not to get too into it. But as I was reading Paladino, there there have been some teammates that have never spoken to Burris after that. Don't blame them. I'm thinking Eli Manning and Plaxico Burris have, have talked since then, but there were teammates that didn't even visit him in while he was in prison. Well, he was very upset about that. Tom Coughlin never either. He When he came out, I remember when he signed with the Jets, he was always like, I would never go back to the Giants. They never visit me in prison. Hey, Burris, no offense, buddy. Shut the fuck up. Yeah. Sh- just shut the fuck up. You derailed a back-to-back championship season. But again, let's save that for another time. So that's a story that's within this chapter. We're going to talk about some lows. We're going to talk about the highs of the regular season and also the pranks and the hijinks of the regular season. So hopefully we're going to fit more stories into this episode rather than last episode. There were two long stories that we spent. So we'll fit some fun stuff into this episode. So snacks, are you ready? We're going to we're going to first go back to 1999. And another Michael Strahan being kind of crazy and being kind of wild here. But this is like a, a pretty packed full story in 1999. You ready to rock and roll? Ready to rock and roll, baby. 99, Yankees uh, Yankees second World Series in a row. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. Ready to go. From November 29th through December 5th, the lives of five team members would change. Collins, Toomer, and quarterback coach Sean Payton for the better, and Fossil and Strahan for the worse. The worse came first. Only a month after Strahan had made his interception return for a touchdown in overtime against Philadelphia, the team's playoff hopes had almost vanished. The Giants lost three straight, and Fossil, dealing with the loss of his mother, had put out an edict that team leader Armstead piped down about criticizing the struggling offense. That Monday, the day Fossil flew to Anaheim, California for his mother's funeral, Strahan decided that he'd had enough of that. The morning started off in surreal fashion. Strahan, regarded as the heart of the team to Armstead's soul, came off as uncaring about his team's fall to 5-6 and six with the previous day's setback against Arizona. I'm not concerned about anything, Strahan said. It's not life and death. I've got a wife and three dogs at home. If we win, great. If we don't, I've got to deal with it. Put it aside, man. Smile. Be happy. By the afternoon, the defensive end's nonchalance had turned to outright anger. In an impromptu, unannounced 80-minute rant in the Giants Stadium press room, Strahan proceeded to rip his absent and grieving coach about muzzling Armstead and, by extension, 
himself. You can't be a leader unless you can comment on the whole spectrum, Strahan said, and we can't comment on the whole spectrum of this team. There's no leader right now. You have a guy, Armstead, who's a leader and a lion, and you tell the lion to stop roaring? The lion's going to be quiet, period. He ain't just going to be the same lion in that den, and the locker room is the den. So first of all, this we'll, we'll break down this quote first. I'm not concerned about anything, and this is coming after a loss. Now, the team is 5-6. and six. Now, honestly, Snacks, it really doesn't matter what, what, what the team's record is. I'm not concerned about anything, Strahan said. It's not life and death. I've got a wife and three dogs at home. If we win, great. If we don't, I've got to deal with it. Put it aside, man. Smile. Be happy. In New York, you don't say that and not get ripped to shreds. No, you don't, and as he should. And wait a minute. Wait a minute. This is, uh, Listen, I, I love doing this because a lot of these stories you hear for the first time when, when you read them. He said this as Fossil was in Anaheim. Yeah, particularly, you know, I, I guess Smile Be Happy. Uh, I, I can imagine him saying it's not life and death had something to do with his coach, di- with this coach's mother dying. But okay. then the 80 minute rant. Uh, I, yeah, that, man. That How tone deaf can you be? Yeah. I'm sorry. They, I, Strahan, you know, him and Eli are the two guys that I adore and love the most from as a giant fan, but I mean, your coach's mom just died. Don't you think there's a better way to handle a situation, no matter how angry you are? And, you know, rightfully so maybe fossil shouldn't have came out and said to, to shut Jesse Armstead's mouth, but dude, you cannot be that tone deaf. So this is, I guess, based off of the 2000 season, your observations of fossil, well, even after that too, after the 2000 season, because that's when you really started to follow. Yes. 2000 was, was my first year. Yeah, and we've talked about on the show the differences between Fossil and Coughlin and why the Giants, you know, kind of made the right decision to go from totally one end of the spectrum to the other with the disciplinarian and Coughlin because it was these guys like Shockey, Strahan, Tiki that just didn't seem to have a cap and seemed very tone deaf as to as to being leaders in the locker room uh, and their and their mouths, like just to put it frankly. So yeah. I'm guessing is Strahan is he kind of right? Is he is he taking things too far? Because what basically that defense was commenting on the offense's inconsistency that season, and they were pretty inconsistent. Uh, now this is they're talking after this Cardinals game. The Cardinals game it was a it was thirteen it was fourteen to three. That was the final score, and the team fo- and the team fell to two and three. And they and they only scored sixteen points against Philadelphia, fourteen points against the Patriots, twenty one points against Washington, but the but they scored fifty against them, and they won Week One, scoring seventeen points. Defense forced five turnovers Week One against the Buccaneers, and they only won by four points. So the offense was struggling. So this is like my kind of sure. like do you get like where I'm coming from with is Strahan being a little being a little crazy here, or is he kind of like in line? All right. Well, I will say this. I can understand where he's coming from, but I think it's a little crazy. I don't think that with a grieving coach and whatnot, you should be calling him out. I think that is, to me, that that that's wrong. And I get his message and trying to be a leader and trying to rally his troops and all this like that. But I think there's a better time and place for it. Maybe when his coach comes back to the facility and he's, you know, he's done grieving and everything. But whether he agrees with Fossil or not, clearly he doesn't. I don't think that was the right avenue and the right thing to do. An 80-minute onslaught? I'm Come on. that That's a little much. I know Strand's outspoken, and he's annoyed that they're 5-6. and six. I get it, but they're not 5-9. and nine. Like There's still plenty of season, and still time to get this going. So why not, why not keep that in-house? Because when you spill things out to the media, you know it only gets worse. So to me, I think that was a little crazy and not my favorite Strahan move. Yeah, and I think Paladino is writing based off of Strahan is more or less frustrated with multiple years of inconsistent offensive play, and this goes back to Brown, Kent Graham, Danny Cannell. For um, sure. And because this is, no, the only two starting quarterbacks of this season were Danny Cannell and Kerry Collins. But after Phil Sims, until Kerry Collins, there was really no consistent kind of starter there for the Giants. And... What I what I really don't get from Strahan is you can't be a leader unless you comment on the whole spectrum. Well, when has a defensive player or an offensive player ever commenting on the other side of the football? When has that ever gone well? It's never I gone don't well. think I don't think I can name one time. Never, literally never. 
And I, I to me, that's just it's not the way to do it. If you want to have a, a players-only meeting and call out the offense there, fine. Right. You know what? I don't think that's such a bad thing. You know, fire fire their ass up. But you, you and if can the time and pl- if the time to do an only an only players meeting was when literally the head coach was out of town. Was not there. And as that would have been the perfect you time. You could have done it. <laughs> you don't do it to the New York, New Jersey media. That that's a recipe for disaster. Oh, You're God. literally you could literally lose as a leader like Strahan was. You could lose the trust of your teammates. You you're gonna sit there and tell me th- those guys on offense like that? Come on, come on. Yeah, when earlier that day you said it's not life and death. Right, exactly. It's contradicting. <laughs> I just not 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 good. Not 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 yeah. my favorite Strahan moment. I could tell you that. So Strahan also noted that the mental strain of watching the offense fail time and time again, year after year again, under Brown, Graham, and Cannell. It's frustrating when you've been here for seven, for seven, oh, geez, not several, seven. It's frustrating when you've been here for seven years, and it's kind of been the same old thing for seven years. We have a great defense here, but I think we're a little tired. The comments in Tuesday's new newspapers particularly spread with lightning speed across the continent to Fossil. A Corsi attending the funeral apprised his coach of Strahan's wayward thoughts. Fossil was not ecstatic with these comments while his mother was being buried. When he arrived back at his giant stadium office that Wednesday, nearly sleepless after a 1 a.m. arrival from California, the first thing he did was summon Strahan for a visit. A good chewing out was more like it. 45 minutes worth. I was not happy with those comments, Fossil said. Not happy with any team member that makes those comments, and it angered me. Strahan apologized, paid a $1,000 fine, blamed the media for twisting his words in an 80-minute rant, question mark, and the issue passed to more important things like the Jets. The game brought the whole turbulent week to a positive end. Preparation started with the change in offensive play callers. Fossil, a former, a former offensive coordinator with the Giants, Denver Broncos, and Cardinals, had handled those duties since he took over in 1997, but he didn't need Strahan's ill-timed tirade to tell him the offense needed something different than his conservative style. He had been considering dropping the play calling duties for a while. QB coach Sean Payton had made a positive impression when calling plays in the preseason opener in Minnesota when Fossil missed time to visit his ailing mother one final time in Phoenix. With Brown demoted and the reign of Kerry Collins just one unsuccessful week old, Fossil realized the time had come to shift some things around. He couldn't have picked a better time. The offense exploded in a a 41-28 win against Bill Parcells' Jets. So impressive was the onslaught that it left the former Giants leader red-faced. It was the last Giants-Jets game Parcells would ever coach. After the game, Parcells admitted to being outcoached. A high compliment to Fossil and Peyton. It's the first time in three years I've ever been ashamed, Parcells said. Much of wow. that had to do with Peyton and how he used Collins and an up-and-coming veteran receiver in Amani Toomer. Gone were the constant checkdowns. They were replaced with downfield throws and plenty of play action. Hallelujah. Collins finished the game with an astounding 134.4 QB rating on 17 of 29, 341 yards in passing. It marked the first Giants 300-yard passing effort in 96 games since Phil Sims against the Cardinals in 1993 snacks. That's I know you have some very strong emotions to Sean Payton. And I think it's actually Jim fossil had the opportunity to promote him at some point or give, I don't, I don't know what the whole deal was. It was fossil stubbornness to not let Sean Payton take a step up. And I actually think that's the reason why he left. Yes. Well, he was the offensive coordinator and I don't, I, I'm pretty sure Fossil was calling the plays. I could be very wrong. I I, I could be, but we had, we had Sean Payton in the building and clearly a young offensive offensive wizard. He's he's making magic happen with with Kerry Collins. I mean, again, we we have numerously said that Kerry Collins was a drunk, and um, not not you know nothing wrong with it. I, I'm sorry. It's I I hate saying it, but like that's just the first gave thing him I an edge when I think of Kerry. Went gave him an edge, and I I kind of wish Fossil let Payton like loosen the reins a little bit. You know what I mean? Like gave Peyton the offense. He was the offense, like gave him more responsibility. And to me, can I clarify by the way, go ahead. Yeah. Peyton would keep the play calling duties until 2002 when fossil demoted him and eventually yeah. pushed him out of the organization. That ironically, was it. that embarrassed, Ironically, that embarrassment started the offensive guru on the road to his first head coaching job with the Saints, and he would eventually accomplish something Fossil never did, and he won a Vince Lombardi trophy. Yes. So let me, you know what? That That's exactly it. It was, he was demoted. He was the offensive play core, and then Fossil took over, and I remember he had this big play sheet, like massive, kind of like Peyton has now. Can I give a quick little scenario? You know how, you know how we've talked about before where like, 
Parcells and Belichick were in the building at the same time, and Parcells like abruptly stepped down after Belichick had taken the Browns job, and that should have been Belichick's job, and we missed out on Bill mm-hmm. Belichick. What if Fossil isn't disrespecting Peyton the way he did? Peyton stays. Fossil got fired in 2003. That's a year later. Does Peyton become the head coach? It's We, we don't get Tom Coughlin, but we still get one hell of a head coach. Who's clearly based had off a, of precedence, based off of precedence, right? if the Maras were willing. Now, also, this is di- these were different Maras. Well, Welling- Wellington was still alive, yes, yeah. and and Mr. Bob Tish, yeah, absolutely. But they did it with McAdoo. No. That's my whole point. But again, that's Ugh. those were different Maras, so they it, may have wanted different. to just clean house totally. I think I think Coughlin was their guy, and they after two thousand three, they needed a complete overhaul and somebody with discipline, like we talked about last week. Somebody with with, with you know hard-nosed, disciplined football that's not going to take shit from anybody. So I think in the end, Coughlin probably is in there. But it's kind of a funny situation to think about that if Sean Payton is respected more by Jim Fossil, he could have very well been our next head coach. And that could have been Sean Payton and Eli Manning. Oh, wow. And I tell you, I mean, Coughlin and Eli went together like, you know, lamb and tuna fish. But could you imagine what, what Payton could have done with Eli? Revisionist history, hindsight's twenty twenty. Yeah, but especially when thinking about kind of Eli got a lot of flack and rightfully deservedly so at times. In but most part times. of what I was reading, part of what I was reading in that Plaxico story about, you know, how he shot himself is that Plaxico did not show up to workouts, even mandatory workouts, like mandatory offseason workouts and, and trainings and OTAs and whatnot. Um, he never practiced. And now, granted, he was hurt during that 07 season, but he rarely ever practiced. And there have been teammates like Amani Toomer, and this will segue us into our next story. There have been teammates like Amani Toomer who have criticized guys like Jeremy Shockey for impeding Eli Manning's development. I, I don't mm-hmm. exactly know why, but teammates have come out and said that there have been certain players and skill position players that were impeding like on Eli Manning's success and development as a player. So I'm imagining should- that that process of Eli Manning, the maturity of Eli Manning is accelerated with Sean Payton. But like you said, hindsight's 2020. Hindsight's 2020, right. And we don't, you know, Sean Payton had Drew Brees come come to him with the Saints when Drew Brees was already a proven good quarterback. I don't think he was great yet, but he made Drew Brees great. So I just, you know, yeah. I always, I guess I got I got to wonder. And there were definitely, listen, between Barber's ego, Shockey's ego, and Burris's ego, how Eli made it out of there alive, let alone win a Super Bowl in 2007, pretty damn impressive. And I think that does yeah. speak volumes to Tom Coughlin. So um, obviously we can't sit here and say, I wish Sean Payton was still with the organization to be the next head coach because, you know, Coughlin brought us two rings and any fan base yeah. will take two rings over anything. So you giving Kevin Gilbride any credit here, Snacks? Um, to be honest, you gotta. How can you not? Wow. He listen, come on. Eli Never was a gunslinger. Never thought I would hear you say it. And yeah, me neither. Eli was a gunslinger, right? <laughs> he he was a gunslinger. He loved to throw the ball down the field. Gilbride's offense was to throw the ball down the field. Outside of third and seven draws every single goddamn third down. But you got to give Gilbride some credit. I think you'd be remiss not to. As much as I didn't yeah. like him, he's, he had that old school offensive way to him. But listen, Eli thrived under him. So how do you not give him any credit? You got to. Yeah. All right. So this next story is going to transition us to tittering tweeters. The Twitter world did not exist when Jeremy Shockey came into the NFL in 2002, but by 2012, the innermost thoughts of teammates, ex-teammates, opponents, friends, and enemies were being spread all around the internet in 140-character chunks. When Shockey was making noises about wanting to play for the Giants again after floating between the Saints and the Panthers, Toomer told his followers why that should never happen. Bad teammate, Toomer tweeted, worse person. That triggered a vicious Twitter war between the two, with Shockey bringing up Toomer's 2007 divorce. Amani Toomer on Jeremy Shockey, colon, bad teammate. Ha ha, Shockey retorted. Well, he was the lazy one who broke my leg, which I have a question about that. Was, did Jeremy Shockey break his leg against Washington? I believe it was a week 14 game in 2007. Was it Toomer that yeah, broke his leg? Question mark. It was. So Toomer like fell on it somehow? I, I, I don't remember the play exactly. I, I, I kind of just scratched my head when you said that. But it was, I uh, did, so I guess, I guess Shockey's implying that it was like it? teammate, Maybe yeah, like one teammate of those teammate on teammate things. action. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Wow. I'm well, sure he did that on purpose. 
Yeah. Well, he was the lazy one who broke my leg, Shockey retorted. Remember when his ex-wife divorced him and he urinated on her clothes? I guess he's the good person. Wow. (laughs) In a a follow-up tweet, Shockey said, go get a bucket of rocks and start throwing them at your glass house. To which Toomer replied, Shockey thanks for providing my statement about you being a bad person. Enough said. Have a nice day, buddy. Like many of his teammates, Toomer believes Shockey stood as one of the great impediments to Manning's development and shed few tears when that broken leg knocked him out of the 2007 Super Bowl championship season. After the tight end's own Super Bowl allegations that the Giants refused to fly him down to Arizona and allow him on the sidelines, he demanded a trade and an expletive-filled discussion with Reese. The general manager granted his wish, setting fire to the frail bridge of Tinder that once connected the Giants to their number one draft pick of 2002. I will never play for you again, he yelled at Jerry Reese in 2008. Toomer tweeted, let him keep his word. It's funny how the New York media is still trying to make money off of me, Shockey concluded. Can anyone find a quote from me wanting to play for the Giants? And he spelled Giants, G-A-I-N-T-S, and Palladino ended the chapter with, it seems Shockey was as bad as a speller and grammarian as he was a teammate. (laughs) <laughs> LOL. You sly dog, Paladino. That was a good one. That was a good one. But my God. Yeah. You know, I remember bits and pieces of the whole shocky turmoil towards the end of his tenure with the Giants. and But that exchange with Toomer is absurd. That is literally absurd. First of all, I don't care what happens. You don't go after a teammate's personal life like that. You don't <laughs> it's do funny that. Though. Oh, it's hysterical. <laughs> It's hysterical. I'd be remiss. To, I'd be lying to you if I told you I didn't laugh. It's hysterical. But come on. And, uh, you know, that's always what you heard back in the day. Like, Shockey's no good for Eli. Screams for the ball. It's not good for his development. Eli kind of took off after that. Right or wrong. Like, his best years were after Shockey left. And this is such a shame because Jeremy Shockey, from 2002 to about that 2007 year, was arguably a top three tight end in football he was yeah, he was tremendous. a dude he was tremendous i'll never forget him bulldozing houston texans bulldozing indianapolis colts in 2002 his rookie year and the final game of the year the winning in against philadelphia when he went up against hall of famer brian dawkins Kerry collins threw him a fade and just ripped the ball out of his hands to score the game tying score he was a ball player i just wish he shut the fuck up and here's here's also what I'm thinking. I wasn't, you know, 2012. I think I joined Twitter 2014, but I was I was 16. So I didn't get into Twitter with the notion that, okay, I'm going to get into Twitter and start tweeting about the Giants. It really wasn't until 2018. So I had Twitter for four years and I was just going on liking, retweeting stuff, never tweeting anything of my own. But I can imagine when Twitter first started, there's not like this social contract that we have now of like there are certain things that you tweet about and there are certain things that you don't tweet about. You absolutely don't. <laughs> when you join Twitter, it was like, I'm just going to say what I want and there's no repercussions. So <laughs> this is crazy how this exchange, this exchange that would happen in person, like I can imagine if they were like on in person with each other, Toomer and Shockey, it's Shockey's bringing up his divorce and Toomer's bringing up how crappy and shitty of a person he is. I can imagine this exchange taking place in person, but the fact that it took place online, and it's right when Twitter started, is absolutely, it's both, I think, hilarious, but it's also absolutely incredible. It, well, that I mean, you hit the nail on the head. It's hysterical and incredible at the same time. Now, I wonder, do you think those tweets are still up if we searched? Twitter advanced search. I guarantee you it, it might be. Well, I don't know. You think maybe they deleted them or... You never know. I can imagine Amani Toomer's kind of a hothead. He recently came out and said, like, the Giants made a mistake about trading Beckham, which is kind of like a wild take, but some people may agree with it. Now, Toomer at one point was working for the organization with, like, broadcasting. He must not be anymore if he's saying things like this. No, no, because if you're working for the Giants as a broadcaster, like, within the Giants, you all you have to say is that the Beckham trade was good. Carl Banks definitely disagrees with the trade and he like refuses to comment on it. So sorry, Carl. Um, but Paul Tatino will personally, oh, God in heaven, cut you with a knife. He will drive to your house and cut you with a knife. If you criticize the giant, dude, I it's, it's unbearable. Like I like P P dot. Like he's definitely seems like a nice guy in person. He is. He is nice. Yeah. He, you know, nice Italian guy, but, 
he just like nauseates me. I he nauseates me. I, I he blocked me for some reason. I don't know why. I'm sure you're blocked. Oh, I too. I don't know why because you you were probably you were probably berating him one day. Actually, you know what? I definitely know what it was. It was I think it was week four, or no week five, the Minnesota game, right? Yeah, week five. Oh oh boy, you talked about it last week. You cried after that game. Well, I did. I cried like a baby, but this is different. It was about Nate Solder, and he said something about Nate Solder not playing as oh, bad boy. as he did. And I just, I, there was like three tweets in a row. I'm like, are you like kidding me? Like, bias aside, we all know how bad he is. Just don't say anything. Like, I know you can't talk Why bad about the team. Why are you going after Paul? You know, you know he's not going to be like, oh, you, you know what, Snacks, you're right. Nate Solder actually is kind of bad. You knew because he was Justin, going I to just do told, that. Like I said last week, I, I was crying. I thought that was the game. I thought that was a statement game. And we, I, I talked you into it. It's your fault. I'm the best. It's your fault. I know I said it last week, but that is all. I got into a massive, I got into a massive fight with my girlfriend. I know I told you. I'm the best. All because of you. You do Viagra too? (laughs) You're such an asshole. I didn't know you got into like a massive fight with your girlfriend. I did not know that. I know that there may have been some tension. I thought I told you that. But. No, oh, maybe I chose to forget it because I didn't want it to be my fault. Well, because she was at my house Sunday morning, and we were set to drive in to the restaurant where the engagement Wait, party you, was. you decided on Sunday morning that you were going to go to the game, or you told her Sunday morning? Uh, well, I decided Saturday night. I told her Sunday morning. Oh, oh wait, okay, yeah, I do remember you convi- you, you Saturday night. You, con- you convinced me, oh, and I was like, man. you know what? I was like, you know what? We literally could be in first place if we win this game. I don't care if it's week five. But the way Daniel Jones has played the first two two weeks of his of his career, I'm in. I'm ready to go. It it had a very 2015 Sunday Night Football, uh, uh-huh. San Francisco 49ers vibes, where uh-huh. we started 0 2, we won the next two, and now the San Francisco 49ers at that time were no near the team that the Minnesota Vikings were. But both teams were kind of railing at certain points, and then we won that 2015 game, that Week Five game, Sunday Night Football, Larry Donnell, Helmet Catch 2.0. We took the division lead, and I walked out of that game just feeling so wonderful about life. And it was the exact opposite. And you cried, and but you're you're together. You're together with your girlfriend, so it's yeah, fine. Everything's everything's fine, and whatever. Right. I don't want to talk about that because I was in deep shit because of you. Anyway, uh, by the way, by the way, one of the few times MetLife Stadium's ever been loud was when Larry Donnell caught that ball. That place was erupted. Oh, mayhem, mayhem, mayhem. Yeah, I hate that fucking stadium. So we're moving on to locker room hijinks. We have two little stories about locker room hijinks and pranks and stuff like that. Locker room pranks usually affect only the prankies, but Rich Soybert, a guard who delighted in getting under everyone's skin, remembered one 2008 training camp joke that created some collateral casualties well after the fact. Some of the rookies weren't behaving too well, he said. So a bunch of us went to do went to Walmart and bought those super soakers, the big water guns. Only we didn't fill them with water. We peed in them. Then we sprayed the rookies with them, and they weren't too happy about that. But the story didn't end there. Somehow, Soybert said the empty but unclean water guns wound up in the trunk of punter Jeff Beagles' car, where they <laughs> stayed until the end of the season. Ugh. That's awful. Like three months later, Feig's kids got a hold of them, and they filled them up, and they started squirting each other, just having a good old time, Soybert said. And they come in the house, and they just smelled horrible. Fiegels realized then what happened. All right, so I'll I'll stop there. Jeff Fiegels, buddy, I, I know Jeff Fiegels isn't the sharpest knife in the in the drawer. Based off of you know, if, if you ever listen to Big Blue Kickoff Live, John Schmelk obviously knows that Jeff Fiegels just isn't very smart, and he just has to no, sit there he, and get through every exactly single day. <laughs> um, but Jeff Fiegels, buddy, I mean, even if pisses and water guns, you gotta still freaking smell it how do you not i'm like oh my god to me that just makes no sense he must have driven a sedan i guess i it's probably the only explanation oh my god but then you don't what do you do you not go anywhere and you don't have to open your trunk yeah that's another thing like doesn't he have kids at that point isn't he putting like stuff in the in the in the, in the trunk or something I think we just revealed the gender dynamic of Jeff Fiegels and his wife's relationship. When he was playing, he never went grocery shopping. He never did anything for the family. He would literally just just drive to and from the facility, and just that's all that he would do. We just hey, revealed listen. the gender dynamic of him and his, of his relationship. Jeff Fiegels, terrific punter, terrible father, terrible husband. 
<laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. So rookies weren't the only targets. As again, the rookies got sprayed with those with those piss guns. Oh god, that must have been. Oh god, ugh, god, ugh. Yeah, it's, and it's, it's offensive really line good. piss too, which is just right. ugh. You know, as as ugh. laid back as Manning was in public, he often pulled stunts on his teammates. In 2010, only their conscience and allegiance to the Maris prevented Soybert and Sean O'Hara, no choir boy himself in the practical joke department, from getting him back in a big way. Quote, we were going to put a live turkey in his meeting room, Soybert said. This guy was selling live turkeys around Thanksgiving, and we were going to let it loose in the room. I'm guessing the quarterback room. It would have been it would have pooped all over the place and made a real mess. So we get this thing, and I've got it, and I've got it in a dog crate in my house for like two weeks. We didn't do it because we'd moved into our new Timex Performance Center by then, and we didn't think Mr. Mara would like it if we dirtied up the new place. I, w- I wound up giving it to a friend, and the turkey lived for like six more years. He only wished the prank Manning and backup Tim Hasselbeck pulled on him in 2005 was as easy to clean up as turkey droppings. They smeared Vaseline on his truck windshield, and he said, you can't wash it off. you got to scrape it off with the credit card. I think that thing still has streaks from that, which if somebody snacks, if you ever want to pull a prank on me and you're thinking about putting Vaseline on my car window, you know how you told me last week that you're going to get your father's machete and kill me? Yes, I said that. I will get your father's machete and I will kill you. Really? Yeah. Do you uh do you think you have any idea of its whereabouts? Oh, I I will I will drive up <laughs> to Bergen County and I will find it. I will take Nick Ercolano and Animal Hostage and I will force them to tell me where your father lives and then <laughs> I will I will I will kill you. If you ever put Vaseline on my car window. I will tell you, Justin. I like you enough. I'm not going to do that. There's a lot of people I don't like that I would do it to, but I won't do it to you. And it's actually pretty funny that the Vaseline thing, because just again, real quick, some of these stories like bring up like old memories and whatnot. When we were in high school, senior year, um, the football players, like our football players and then the cheerleaders, we went back and forth, like tormenting each other's cars. We did the, uh, the saran wrap flower, everything like that. But it was always kind of an easy, like get off. Vaseline sounds abysmal. Ugh, abysmal. That's like a week-long project. If it sits in heat? Yeah, oh, yeah, you're screwed. You're screwed. Ugh. I wonder how the parking works at uh, the Giants facility, at like the Timex facility, because there's not... I'm trying to think if there's any trees that might provide any kind of cover. So there's no like fighting for parking spots, because there's no doubt where if I had a car and I was driving it, I would want to get the spot with any kind of shade. Any kind of shade for mm-hmm. my, you know, just because, you know, sun, sun kills the paint. And if it sits, especially in the heat during camp and the yada, 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 if I could prevent having my car sit in the heat and sit in the sun, I would do it. I guess some people don't care. And if you're leasing, who cares? But if you if you're buying a car, you know, it, it's important. So I can imagine if there's any kind of like, I don't know what par- parking parking situations just made me it, it that just came across my mind. And I honestly can't even tell you why. I wonder what the parking situation <laughs> is like at Timex. So when, when next time I talk to Dave Tollefson. That'll be the one weird question that I ask him. What was your parking situation like? Did you fight? Did you have to like seniority? Did the seniority get the closer parking spots? Um, how did that, all that work? That's going to be a question that I want to ask him. All right, so we have one more one more prankster hijink story, and this time it's antagonizing the rookie receivers. A lot of a lot of uh, rookies are getting antagonized here. Like any other team's locker room in the NFL, the Giants proved no safe haven for rookies. Regardless of their drafted or undrafted status, the first-year players would pay their dues in service to the veterans. God help them if they slacked off or defied the unwritten code. Steve Smith not the Panther Steve Smith, learned all about that as a second-round pick in 2007 before he became Manningham's go-to receiver on third... Manningham. Before he became yeah. Manning's go-to receiver on third down, he had to first learn a lesson about waiting on his elders. Professor Burris was happy to oblige. Rookies were responsible for supplying their position groups with, with breakfast the morning of travel days and any other day the players had to fend for themselves. Smith had already shown his disdain of the rules when he declined to supply the morning feed during training camp. Burris, to whom Smith announced his intentions to never, ever buy breakfast, let it go until the matter was was forgotten by all, almost all. 
It wasn't until the Friday the team left for its first playoff game in Tampa Bay that Burris exacted his punishment. Revenge, you see, isn't the only dish best served cold. <laughs> Paladino's funny. Spying the brand new dress shirt Smith had in his bag, Burris took it out, nearly cut the sleeves off, refolded it, and put it back in its place. Then he put indelible ink, which the FBI uses to trace money, into Smith's socks. As the players boarded the bus to Newark Liberty Airport, Smith pulled the shirt out of the bag and put it on. Off popped the arms, and his teammates roared. The dyed socks not only turned his feet purple, but ruined a pair of $295 shoes. So new, they still bore the price tag. The next time, I tell you, you better have something. You better have my sandwich, Burris warned. Fellow rookie receiver Brandon London, who works for the organization right now, committed yep. a similar sin and paid for it by having his travel suit dosed in the visiting locker room shower. He had to wear his giant sweats home. Next time y'all forget, I'm going to take your car keys, Burris said. Which, would he take the car or would he like key the car? I'm going to take your girlfriend, which I think is holy shit, LOL. Smith and London learned the receivers, according to Burris, ate whatever they wanted the rest of the season, courtesy of the rookies. That included a steady diet of IHOP instead of the standard cheaper fare of McDonald's and Dunkin' Donuts. I'm going to take your girlfriend? What? Was Burris going to have sex with the opposing rookies' girlfriends if they didn't buy him breakfast? Is that what he's? Is that what he's threatening? To I think do? that I think that's what he's insinuating, Justin. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna take your car. I'm gonna drive home, and then I'm gonna have sex with your girlfriend. What a dog! If you didn't get him breakfast, that if you cross Blacksicle Burris and you don't fucking get him IHOP, he will have sex with your girlfriend. Well, <laughs> I. Uh, <laughs> I hope that he got him breakfast. <laughs> oh, they did. They yeah. did. I, I, what? What's your reaction? And again, you're a rookie, so I can imagine maybe you don't know each other entirely well. But at that point, well, I, want, I wonder when that line happened of like, I'm no, I think it had to happen after that Tampa Bay hijinks and after that actual prank. And then he's like, I'm going to take your car. I'm going to take your girlfriend. So at that point, they know each other a little bit better. But still. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty aggressive like very aggressive but oh, hey man. i guess that's how you live and learn right you live and learn all right snacks so we have one more story for today this may be like kind of a really short episode so this story is called pb and j three days after the giants suffered one of their most shocking losses of the past 20 years a 24 point fourth quarter meltdown against the titans in tennessee in 2006 oh no um snacks is this the game where matthias kiwanuka like yep yeah mrs he, he, vince he, young he, no, he didn't miss him. He didn't miss him. He had him wrapped up, didn't play to the whistle. Vince Young scrambles, gets first down. The rest is history. And I remember I remember to this day, Coughlin screaming bloody murder in Matthias Kiwanuka's face. That was <sighs> gut-wrenching. I, I, honestly, I might log off. That was such a gut-wrenching loss. Gut that was, was that Sunday Night Football or Thursday No, no, no. It was, no, it was, it was a primetime game. Four o'clock. Four o'clock game. I, why, do I, if, why do I feel like it was on NBC? No way. That was not a Sunday night football game. I could promise. You. I, I, I'm looking. I'm looking I, I would this take, up right now. Look it up. I promise you. I'll go to my grave saying that's not a Sunday night game. I'll say. I'll bet everything. It was four fifteen game. I remember kind of like. I kind of remember watching it in my hot tub at my old house. I'd rather not fucking talk about this game. November twenty sixth, two thousand six. Wow, you're right. It was four fifteen. We were home. Am I no, good? We were away. No, we were away. Am I good or no, am we I were good? Away. Am I good you're, or you're am good. I good? Jeez, remember the time. God. Yeah, I'm a psycho, Justin. Well, I guess I was I was in my hot tub because then by, you know, six o'clock, seven o'clock. Yeah. Okay. All right. So I, I remember where I was. Uh yeah, PB and J, we lost. Uh yeah. <laughs> you were in your hot tub too? <laughs> no, but I remember where I was. Oh. Sorry. Oh, Go ahead. I'm sure you would you would have rather been in a hot tub. I'd rather been in the fucking graveyard, but go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, I'd rather be in the ground. Good. I'm glad we were thinking the same thing. So Always. a couple days after that meltdown in Tennessee in 2006, Michael Strahan had a nuclear explosion. Surprise, surprise. Or maybe call it a dirty <laughs> bomb. Peanut butter and jelly can make quite a mess in the wrong hands or mouth. Strahan had called out Plaxico, wide receiver Plaxico Burris in a radio interview that Monday morning for allegedly giving up on tackling Adam Pacman Jones. What a piece of crap that man is. On Manning's yes. first of two interceptions. It's a shame, he said. You can't give up. 
You can't quit because you're not quitting on yourself. You're quitting on everybody. I don't quite understand what his lack of motivation is in those types of situations. Again, Michael Strahan just loves to comment on the offense. The comments went right at Burris's pride and on-field work ethic. What made it worse is that he and Strahan, whose locker was just a few feet diagonally from the 6'5 receiver, had become good friends. But Strahan's comments threatened that bond. The two eventually settled their differences with Burris calmly telling Strahan that if he had something to tell him, he could just as easily walk the 10 feet to his locker and said it. Strahan apologized and said his words didn't come out the way he intended. The player crisis settled down, but not before Strahan brought a beef with the media, particularly with ESPN's Kelly Nakui. Do you know who that is? Naki Nakui? It's uh, N-A-Q-I? No. No, no, okay. Probably doesn't work there anymore. Um, who was sent down specifically to question Strahan about the flap. Strahan initially re- rebuffed the reporter's question, but coming back from the lunchroom with the peanut butter and jelly sandwich in hand, he consented to talk with the group of 15 or so media types. He called Nakwe to the front of the group. Come here, he said, glowing and chewing a big bite of sandwich. I want to see your face when you ask that question, the way you're going to ask it. I know you're going to ask it in a way that causes more division and more and, and, and in more of a negative way, look a man in the eye before you try to kill him. Throughout his tirade, the PB&J sandwich swirled sloppily inside his mouth. Tiny bits flew out in front of his famously gapped pearly whites. I read papers each day, he continued. You know the difference between reading your newspapers now and 10 years ago? Now I know the garbage when I read it. 10 years ago, I didn't. It doesn't bother me because half of it is garbage. If you want to be negative, be negative. If you think it bothers me, I don't give a damn. I'm done talking. I'll see you guys tomorrow. For the rest of his career, Strahan ate either before or after he met with the media, never during. Paladino is so funny. He is very funny. And uh, I hate to say this, but I didn't realize it was PB&J. I 100% remember that tyrant. 100%. And I could just imagine the food coming out of his mouth. Right, right, right. I don't. I didn't remember what he was eating, but I remember the food in his mouth. You could see it. You could see him spitting. Oh my gosh! I, I am so stupid. <laughs> wow. You think there's video on it? Oh, it has to be. Has to be. I almost want to Google. I'm it giving now. you. I'm giving you homework. Try to find it. Okay, I'll find it right now. Oh, says that you have. I mean, I want to see your face when you ask me this question, and the way you're going to ask it. I know you're going to ask it in a way that's just more of a division and more of a negative way than what it was. All right, so come here. I want to see your face. Please, part so I can see your face. If you are a responsible journalist and look me in the eye asking this question, please, the way that, that um, well, you want to ask it, come here. Look a man in the eye before you try to kill him or make up something. Look him in the eye. Plexico okay? says you haven't spoken with him about your comments on WFAN. Is that true? I haven't spoken to you about him. Have you spoken I've with spoken him? I've spoken to Plexico. I spoke to Plexico in the team meeting as well. Did you do it after? Do you after, think one play by Plexico lost us the game? No. You think interception by Eli lost us the game? No. You think a tackle by Kiwanuka lost us the game? No. Is that what I expressed to the team? Yes. Those things didn't lose us the game. But the fact of the matter is we're six and five. We lost three games in a row. What do you want us to do? Put our heads down and go into a corner? We don't do that. We're men. We get back. We practice hard. We prepare to play to win. Don't prepare to come in and have someone who wants to take a comment and try to divide teammates in a way that it just disrupts this team because we don't have that division here. So if you want to come here with a negative, you're coming to the wrong guy because I'm not a negative guy. I don't kill my teammates. I'm a man, and I talk to my teammates. So if you're going to talk to me, don't stand in the back behind ten other people. You come here and you look me in the eye. And when you look me in the eye and you ask me a question, ask me a question in the appropriate manner. If you're going to ask Plexico about something, you ask him in the appropriate way. Not the negative way as it seems like I'm attacking my teammate because I don't do that. He says right? you haven't spoken with him since the FAN well, comments. Mike, Is that if true? If I had spoken with him, I wouldn't tell you that I spoke to him. I'm glad ESPN is listening to WFAN. That's a good thing. We at least we listen to each other around here, read each other's papers, I guess. Michael, because of the way the comments are, are being portrayed, however that is. It's being portrayed that way because that's the way you guys portray them. We've lost three games in a row. You're not going to do anything positive. That's not how you guys operate. You don't sell papers by being positive, okay? You just don't, especially when teams lost three games in a row. You don't sell paper by being positive. I read papers. I read papers every day. I read you guys every day. And you know the difference between me reading your papers now and me reading your papers 10 years ago is that now I know when I read it. 10 years ago, I didn't know when I read it. So now I can read your papers. It doesn't bother me. 
because half is garbage. The only thing that bothers me is the fact that you mislead people outside his locker room when you guys spend more time with us than we damn near spend with ourselves sometimes. Michael, these are you, Michael, so, these are your these are your said, words. I'm done because I have a 12 o'clock meeting because we have the Cowboy this week. I appreciate it. If you're going to be negative, be negative. If you think that it bothers me, I can give a damn what you're right. I can give a damn what tone you take. I'm done talking. There we go. I'll see you guys tomorrow when I talk on Thursday. I came out here just for you. There you go. Michael, Thank these you. were your words, though. <laughs> my words are, I'm done talking to you. That is such an all-time rant. Yeah. All, all-time all rant. I remember it exactly. And he I didn't realize the peanut butter and jelly. He's got it in his hand. He's eating it when he starts. And it's him going back and forth to the media. Literally, like, they're saying Plexico never – Plexico said he, he didn't talk to you. And Michael's like – I wouldn't tell you if I talked to Plexico. And he had a very strong lisp back in the day. I feel like he doesn't have that anymore. Like, his lisp is really strong. Maybe I guess because he's, chew- he's chewing or whatnot. But you could see the anger in his eyes. Like, he's he's like pointing his neck out. Like the hunchback in Notre Dame getting in these people's faces. Oh. <laughs> wow, this is fun. I can't wait to watch it. It's It's tremendous. Look a man in the eye before you try to kill him. Dude, this is how you handle the media. This is how you shut them up. All right, Snacks. I think that's going to do it. Excellent. Good way to end it with uh, with, Strahan's, with Strahan's little rant there, some snippets of it and your thoughts. But also what I want to play, and I'm surprised Paladino doesn't talk about this. Maybe it's talked about a little bit later, but my favorite Eli Manning prank is how quickly and easily he can change the change language, the on, language phones. on the phone. Yep from like English to Japanese or Chinese or something like that. So I have that sound bite. Um, do you have any final thoughts for the people of the world before we play some Eli Manning and before we play this sound bite? No, not many thoughts. Just these, uh, these memories and these little tidbits of these Giants players that we all love and, and worship as fans are absolutely fantastic to get a better insight on what went on. Um, that's why this book is so much fun to read. So thank you, Justin, for, for bringing it about. Um, and thanks for listening. And like Justin said, leave another comment and refresh your rating. How about it, huh? How about it? How about you do it? How about you do it? I love you. Thank you. How about it? So your final thing about Anthony. Oh, always Anthony. Ant, we love you. Always. Every single episode dedicated to you. I promise that. Did I not? Yes, you did. Anthony, we love you. I hope you like this episode and I know that Strahan wasn't a right tackle or a left tackle that you have to debate about who's going to start, but he was a pretty good giant. So we love you and keep looking down at us and keep making our podcast great because we try to make you proud. We love you, buddy. Here's Eli Manning. Um, This question is mainly for Manning. Um, I just want to know um, how I can change my default on my phone to Chinese. (laughs) Uh, i didn't catch that question she asked how to to change yeah how to change her default on her phone to chinese kind of one of my i guess my pranks i guess it's kind of hit the airways is that uh anytime someone might give me their picture you know their phone and say hey can you you know take a picture of me or or can we get a selfie if if you give me like four seconds i can change your phone into a different language and uh A lot of times it's Chinese or, or uh, you know, I assume it's Chinese, you know, just because it's simple. You have no idea how to get it back. Like, it's not like, you know, there you go. Oh, you want me to do it? You can even do it one-handed, too. Here we go. Got it. There you go. Eli Manning changed your phone. So, uh... 